0: You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is BaptistChurch.com. Hey, man, you can be seated. I'm going to say it again. The title of the message is A Hill to Die On. And do you have one? Is there something that you would or someone, some cause that you would die for? Let me let me read to you the definition. There's a definition of that phrase, a hill to die on. It says, it's an allusion to the military practice of capturing and holding a hill or high ground no matter the cost. An issue to pursue with wholehearted conviction and or single-minded focus with little or no regard to the cost. In fact, there's a negative side to that, and you may have said this. You may look at somebody and say these words, I disagree with your decision or your conclusion, but this is a hill I'm not willing to die on. Is that not right? Dr. Adrian Rogers, who's now deceased, the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, one of the largest churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, During the controversy of our denomination, which is the largest evangelical Protestant denomination in the world, they were at a point, Sheila and I will remember this, in 1984 and 85, they were the largest gathering in Dallas and in Atlanta of any organization that had ever gathered before. There were over 50,000 Southern Baptists who gathered in Dallas. The question and the reason that our denomination gathered was over this right here, biblical authority. Is is the Bible the inerrant, infallible word of God? Is it truth without any mixture of error? Can we trust it? Our denomination was at a critical moment in its history would it this be the final authority or would we go the way of other denominations methodist presbyterian some charismatic groups or would we be called people of the book adrian rogers said this he said he had somebody from the opposing side who said that it contains truth but it's not all truth This person came in and sat down. He looked at Rogers. He said, now, Dr. Rogers, you know that you and I, because this was a denominational leader. He said, you know that you and I need to come to some agreement. We need to agree. At that point, Dr. Rogers looked at this denominational leader and he said, no, sir, we do not need to agree. And I can tell you right now, we will not agree. In other words, Rogers went on to say this was a heel that he was willing to die on. Are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable with looking at somebody and saying, I don't agree with that, I can't agree with that? I will not agree with that. Are you comfortable with that? Is there a hill you'll die on? Is there a hill, a cause, conviction, a principle that you just simply would not back down from? Nelson Mandela, the great leader of South Africa. And I was telling our men today, Nelson Mandela was an interesting individual. For those that don't know, South African political situation. South Africa was ruled by the apartheid. The the Apartheid is the KKK on steroids. The Apartheid, the Dutch, the Apartheid, the white South African called the Afrikaner, was the ally to Hitler during World War II. The British were fighting the Afrikaner apartheid in South Africa. Nelson Mandela, this Nobel Prize winning leader, Nelson Mandela was jailed for 27 years for taking a stand against apartheid. He was an unbelievable man. I'd challenge any young man or woman, especially African-American. I would challenge you to read his story, A Long Walk to Freedom. It's a big book, a thick book, but it's a great book. Listen to what Mandela said. He said, I am prepared to die. He said, I have fought white domination. I have fought against black domination I have cherished the idea of a democratic and free society in which all people live together in harmony and with equal opportunities. Mandela went on to say, It is an idea which I hope to live for and to achieve. But if needs be, it is an idea for which I am prepared to die. Dr. Martin Luther King said this. He said, he who accepts evil without protesting against it is really cooperating with it. Let me read that again. Dr. King said, he who accepts evil without protesting against it is really cooperating with it. You see, there should be some heels, some convictions, some principles, some things that you're willing to die for. You just won't back down. Just won't do it. I've come up through a time of racial inequality. I've often been on the receiving end of, of men and women who did not agree with me. There were times when I would look at a room full of individuals and say, I cannot agree with that. I will not agree with that because it was wrong. I wrote down here, the greatest danger in the church is that you and I turn to bl- we turn a blind eye. You ever heard that? Turning a blind eye. You know where that comes from? Let me tell you a quick story. The idea of turning a blind eye was often used to refer to a willful refusal to acknowledge reality. And it dates back to a legendary chapter in the career of a British naval officer named Horatio Nelson. During 1801, in the Battle of Copenhagen... Nelson's ships were pitted against a large Dutch-Norwegian fleet when his more conservative superior officer flagged for him to withdraw. The one-eyed Nelson supposedly brought his telescope to his blind eye and blithely proclaimed, I really do not see the signal. He ignored the signal, and he went on to win a decisive victory. That's where we get that idea of turning a blind eye. You know, in that case, it was positive, but how many of us, we not only don't have a hill to die on, we lack the backbone to stand for anything or anyone, but worse than that, we will even turn a blind eye to what we know to be injustice. Well, this is what we find here. I wrote this down. There are times when a believer must stand against both government and culture. And this is what we find here with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were young men, men and women, 14, 15, 16 years of age, that had been ripped out of Israel under the armies of Nebuchadnezzar, and he had taken the best and the brightest, and he had pulled these young men and women out. He carried them back to Babylon, and he began to indoctrinate them into the Babylonian culture. In other words, he wanted, listen, everybody listen, he wanted to pull these young Jews, Jewish men and women, away away from their faith and their culture and indoctrinate them with a pagan political cultural framework. Let me give you something to think about. Hold your finger on Daniel chapter 3 and go to the right, go all the way over in the New Testament to the book of Romans. I want you to see this, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Watch what Paul said here. In Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. And remember, these Christians, Paul would be beheaded by the Romans. He was writing to a church and a people under great persecution. In Romans chapter 12, Paul said, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now look at verse 2. Everybody, if you're there, say Amen. Do not, what? What does it say? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and His pleasing and His perfect will. Everybody look this way. You've got an enemy. And that enemy controls this world system. This is a fallen, sinful world system. That's what it is. It's his system. That's why he looked at G- Jesus in the temptation. You remember, he said, he said, listen, he said, you don't have to go to the cross. There's an easier way. If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And, G- and the devil said to Jesus, and they're mine to give. Do you know that Satan can answer your prayer? Do you know that Satan can answer your prayer? Do you know that Satan can bless you? Do you know that Satan can give you some of this world stuff? Because he said to Jesus, he said, it's my stuff to give. And a lot of men and women and entertainment and politics and sports and so many different arenas in the business world, they'll make a deal with the devil. They'll bow with the, to the enemy. And my friend, God, God won't bless them, but Satan will. Paul said they're trying to conform you into the image, not of Jesus, but of this world system. In Daniel chapter 1, we don't have time to look at it, but you know the first thing? When these young men and women, Jewish young men and women, when they came to Babylon, you know the first thing? You know what Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians wanted them to do? Was simply to eat a diet that wasn't kosher. In other words, you just eat, you drink wine, you eat pork, you eat the diet of the Babylonians. If you'll do that, you'll be fine. If you don't do that, you know what Nebuchadnezzar said to these 14, 15, 16-year-olds who refused to eat his diet? He said, if you don't eat my diet, you die. You know what Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said? Hey, listen, test us. Give us water, fruits, vegetables, let us eat a kosher diet, and then compare us to those that are eating your Babylonian diet. And let's say who's the better. Their minds were sharper, their bodies were well conditioned. Hey, listen, they excelled. You may say, well, that's a little thing. You think it's a little thing about what you and I put in our mouth? How did Satan tempt Adam and Eve? Right? Right? You think that's a little thing? It's not at all. How did Esau lose his blessing to his brother Jacob? Over a bowl of soup. What was the first temptation that Jesus was confronted with by Satan? What was it? Turn these stones. You're right, Kanye. It's so good to see you back. I'm glad you're better. Turn these stones into Bread. You know, there's a book that said, don't sweat the small stuff. I'm going to tell you, you better sweat the small stuff. Well, in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three young men were required to bow down to a pagan image. They're on the valley, or they're on the plain of Dura. They're surrounded, imagine that scene. They're surrounded, the Bible said, by the nations of the world. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians had conquered the known world. They had not only taken those Jewish young men and women out of Israel, they had destroyed Israel, destroyed the temple, tore down the walls, had taken the Jewish people and scattered them across the world. But they took the best and the brightest and they carried them back to Babylon. They began to indoctrinate them. There came that moment. When there was that golden idol, 90 feet tall, in some ways a replica of Nebuchadnezzar himself. And Nebuchadnezzar said, if you don't bow down and worship this idol, my friend, you will die. You'll be thrown into a fiery furnace. you imagine that scene? Tens of thousands standing before Nebuchadnezzar there on his throne when all of a sudden they're dedicating that idol and all of a sudden you watch all of these men and women. You watch Babylonians. You watch all kinds of men and women, including, listen, including the Jews. Many Jews were doing this. As they bowed their knee, all of a sudden you looked and there's three young men standing at full stature. I love this story. There was a story of a slave ship that was being unloaded, and a man was there to buy slaves here in this country. And he was looking at the one who was the captain of the ship. And he was looking at the cargo and looking at human beings like they were cattle. And all of a sudden he looked, and there was a proud black man who came up and he walked across that deck with his shoulders held high, his head held high. And they and 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 he looked and he said, Tell me about that man. And the captain said, that man says that he's the son of a king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, full stature, 15, 16 years of age, young people. You think you can't take a stand where you go to school, where you live, parent? Person, You go in, nobody knows you're a Christian. You never mention the name of Christ. You never reach out and tell anybody about Christ. You don't care if the world dies and goes to hell. My friend, they stood at full stature. I wrote down three things that became immediately evident. They are immediately recognized as defying the law of the land. A law that was alien to their faith, to their culture. Idol worship. They knew it was in the Ten Commandments. Every Jewish child, Shema, Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Ahad. In the Hebrew, hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one. And you shall not bow your knee to no idol. Nebuchadnezzar had a totalitarian rule, though. What does that mean, totalitarian or totalitarianism? It is a system of government that is centralized and dictatorial. It requires complete subservience to the state. China, Russia, Iran, many of these countries are Marxist at the very core. They're totalitarian. Zimbabwe was ruled by Robert Mugabe, totalitarian government, 90% unemployment, 90% unemployment in this Marxist country, and at times a genocide of some of the tribes that he was ruling over. One of them was the Indabeli. He took North Korean troops and murdered a tribe of people. And much of the world is held prisoner to the Marxist ideology. Patricia Kohler, founder of Black Lives Matter, is a card-carrying Marxist. They come in all shapes, sizes, and colors. Secondly, these young men were immediately identified as being insubordinate. And I'm sure that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were standing there, I'm sure that about that time, one of those Jewish brothers or sisters, one of those other Jews, pulled his pant leg and said, "Hey, man, you need to get with it. You need to bow down." I'm sure they said, "Why don't you drink the Kool-Aid? Why don't you dance the tune?" Dietrich Bonhoeffer warned the clergy in Germany in his day of the danger of turning a blind eye. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this great theologian in Germany, went on to say this. He said, and listen, do you know who inspired him? Young African Americans, do you know who inspired Dietrich Bonhoeffer? He was told to stay in the United States and to be safe. After he spent time in the 1930s and the early 40s, he spent time among African Americans in this country. He went back as a death sentence and took a stand against Nazism and against Adolf Hitler and he died one week in a prison before Allied troops could get to him and set him free. Dietrich Bonhoeffer warned the the Church, he warned the Christian, he warned the ministers in Germany of the great danger that Adolf Hitler uh, was propagating, and the whole idea of the axis of evil that was developing in many countries such as Italy, Japan and Germany. And nobody listened. Third, these young men, they were isolated. they were forced to stand alone. You can imagine that tens of thousands, all nations, all tongues, conquered people, all bowing down and, and, and worshiping this 90 foot replica of King Nebuchadnezzar. And boy, he was just, he was delighting in it when all of a sudden there became very evident there were three that were standing up. They were refusing to bow. I wrote this down. They were isolated. They were forced to stand alone by those who rather than standing with them were compromising their faith and conforming to the culture. My friend, you and I need to be standing alone sometimes. I wrote a book years ago called Killing the Church. It was on the failure of you and I to confront people when they're wrong. It's hard to do, isn't it? I remember one time at Southside Assembly, I was in a meeting. It was a racial reconciliation meeting. I was sitting there with black men and women, white men and women. We were sitting there. We were trying to figure out, how could you bring us together? And we were talking about some of the issues, some of the things that separated us. And I brought up Abortion. In that moment, a black pastor, and let me tell you, I've got a lot of black pastors that wouldn't, listen, if I died, they'd be tickled pink. This black pastor looked at me and he said, that's the problem with you people. I stopped him right there. I said, you people, that's a racist comment. What do you mean by that? And then I looked at him, and I, and he, but he went on. He said, you people, he said, you're worried about the child in the womb, but you don't worry about after they're born. You don't worry about their families. You don't worry about education. You don't worry about their health insurance. You don't worry about all of those things. I said, first of all, I said, you're judging me. And I said, that's not true. I've led the effort to expand Medicaid in this country. It's being shown in Washington, D.C. and across 50 states right now. Much of it, some of it, was filmed right here in this church. an appeal to the federal government to ex- expand Medicaid for people that are poor and struggling and can 't get adequate health care we 've already had the American Cancer Association offer us twenty thousand dollars just to hear the stories that some of you may have right now. But I looked at him and i said that 's not correct." But I said, "What is your answer to kill him?" I said, is your answer, because we may struggle with families and insurance and education, is your answer to kill, to kill them? And it was about as quiet as it is now. You know, sometimes we have to stand up. Benny Thompson has been a congressman for 30 years, 2023. started at 1993, 2023. Go and read his legislation, people. That man has been one of the most liberal voices on the area of the right to life and the personhood of the, of the child in the womb of any individual in Washington, D.C. And you may say, well, what's the big deal? You know, I thought about Esther. You remember Esther? You know, for some young women in this room right here, I love, I love reading the story of Esther. Esther's just like, you know, she's another one. You know, she's just a, she's just a slave girl. That's all she is. She's just a, she's just a poor little old Jew slave girl. Who's been left over? The Babylonians are defeated by the Medes and the Persians. And now the Persians are in power. And you remember the story? That Persian leader, one day Vashti, refused to come in front of a a party. He wanted her to come into that party. And you know what? He wanted her to come naked. And many believe that she was pregnant with his child. Vashtai, Queen Vashtai said no. His officials said to the king, said, listen, you got to deal with this, or this is going to empower the women, and they're going to all be giving us a headache. And so you're going to have to say something, do something. You remember what the king of Persia did? He took that queen and he sent her away, never to return to him again. And then he was looking for a new king, new queen. Slave girl. Named Esther became the queen. Of the most powerful nation in the world. There was a wicked man by the name of Haman. Haman was an Agagite. He hated the Jews. And so, and so Haman began to he began to plot uh, the destruction of the Jewish people. And do you know why? Because there was a Jewish man that refused to do this. A man by the name of Mordecai. Oh, Haman! Oh, Haman, he had come through, and listen, the king of Persia had commanded that when, when Haman walked through, the people were to drop down and bow to him. Little old Jew, a Jewish man, cousin of Esther, he stood his ground. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he wouldn't bow. He didn't bow. And it, more, it, it just ate Haman up, and Haman began to plot. He began to raise a plot to destroy all the Jewish people and he was doing it. And there comes a point, look at Esther chapter four In Esther chapter four, I believe it is. I want you to see this. We'll close in a few minutes, but Esther chapter four, look at verse one. It said, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes. When he learned what Haman was trying to do to destroy the entire Jewish nation, It said he put on sackcloth and ashes. He went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly, but he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and the order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews while fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. And as I read that, I thought to myself, where is any passion, any pain, any hurt? Where is any, 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 any care at all about what's going on in this nation and around this world? My friend, we are like a frog in a in a we are like a frog in a kettle of boiling water. We're dying and we don't know it. Mordecai was broken. The Bible said he was in sackcloth. Where is any concern over this city? One of the most dangerous cities in America today. Where is the concern? This man was broken. I wrote, where is the grief? Where is the sorrow? Where is the anger as this nation plummets toward depravity in a way we've never seen it before? You're not alarmed? The Department of Defense... Everybody look this way. The Department of Defense... Doctors this week determined that a seven-year-old child can choose sterilization. Over half the doctors in the Department of Defense were in favor of a seven-year-old child being able to choose sterilization. Now, that's not counting the fact that a child can use hormone blockers, a girl can use testosterone, uh, children can proceed with surgical procedures, double mastectomy, a girl, can, uh, a girl can actually make herself a boy by having surgical procedures. It will cost her about $500,000. She will never be able to have sex and it will take her 25 minutes to pee. And you say, well, you're being mighty blunt. Well, I don't know. I don't what do you think it's going to take to wake us up? We're living in a we're living in a strange time in this world. And when I've heard that, the Department of Defense in this country over 50. Hey, listen, you have to remember. When I was in the military, I was a field medical officer. I did my early training at Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas. Sheila was there with me. We were newly married, and before long she was pregnant with Amy after a while. But there we were at Brook Army Medical Center. I remember that. And I thought to myself, where have we come as a nation that over half of our doctors in the military now believe that a seven-year-old child can have the right and the privilege outside of the parent's authority to determine that she can be sterilized, sterilization so that she's never able to have children. What nation are we in today where Holland, Switzerland, and some of Denmark and some of the more liberal nations are pulling away from us because we've become so uh, apathetic and indifferent to the degree that now children can have hormone blockers, testosterone, surgical procedures, and do much of what they're doing today without parental consent. It's the world we're living in. This past week, Congress voted on the protection of women and girls in sports acts of 2023, which is legislation, listen to this, designed to amend Title IX of the education amendments of 1972 such as the recipient of federal financial assistance when operating sports leagues that cannot permit a person whose sex is male to participate in an athletic program or activity that is designated for women and girls. The legislation in the Congress to protect women from men coming into their sporting events, the legislation passed with 219 affirmatives all of which came from the Republican Party, 203 negative votes, all which came from the Democratic Party. And I thought to myself, America's greatest threat right now is professing Christians walking into the voting booth and leaving their faith and the law and the word of God outside while they go in and vote. And today we live in a world today that has become more liberal than we've ever been before. And you may say, well, what's the matter? You know, I had an individual make this statement. They said, I hated to see that in Congress. I hated to see the polarization, the continued polarization and divide in this country today. And they went on and they were talking and I said, I don't agree with what you just said. Thank God there's a polarization. You may say, well, you know, what's the big deal? Well, let's, let's look at it this way. I was born 1955. In 1971, Roe v. Wade was legalized. And you know what Roe v. Wade basically was trying to do? Give a, a woman's body, it's her right, she can do with it what she wants, including in an unborn child's life. And let me say this real quickly. I was told this is a true story. An OBGYN doctor was sitting there. A woman came in and looked at him and said, doctor, and uh, afterwards she was in consultation with the doctor. She had a little three-year-old boy sitting on her lap. She looked at the doctor and said, you know, doc, I'm in school. I've got so much on me. I've got this child. I've got so much going on in my life. I don't need this pregnancy right now. And I want to ask you this. Are you, will you do an abortion? The doctor looked at her and said, let me tell you, the medical expense, the medical risk, he began to walk her through all of that. He said, you know, there's a lot to an abortion. He said, how how about, why don't we just kill the one sitting on your lap? We went 1971, we went from a first trimester that first three months where we said it's not really a person, so it doesn't count, so it doesn't matter. So we had first trimester abortion. Then we went to the fourth, fifth, and sixth month, even though we can save children in that window now who are severely sometimes born premature. But we said they're not a person yet either. It's the right of the mother to do what she wants to do. But it wasn't right at first trimester. Then we went to second trimester and then we went to a full term 40 week we can take the life of an unborn child at full 40 weeks as long as that child is in the womb and hey listen let me remind you of what clinton and many uh legalized partial birth abortion partial birth abortion is this you deliver the head out and i've done some deliveries before And the medical part of it, you deliver the head out. I can't imagine somebody doing this. You deliver the head out of the baby, you put a syringe in the back of their head, and you suck out their brains, and then you deliver the baby. That's partial birth abortion. First trimester, second trimester, third trimester. We're the, we have the most liberal abortion laws of any nation in the world. That wasn't enough. Now in California, if that baby survives the birth, then guess what they do with that baby? They lay that baby up on a, on a shelf, make that baby comfortable, and let it die. And if that doesn't grieve your heart, my friend, you don't have a heart. And if that doesn't burden you as to the state of this nation and where it is, I have a hard time with Benny Thompson, and you can tell him I said it. You've heard me say Planned Parenthood was started by Margaret Lackey. She was a believer in, uh, huh? Mar- Margaret Sanger. She was a believer in eugenics, and her quest was to rid this nation of the African American. She started Planned Parenthood. President Obama was the first sitting president to speak to Planned Parenthood, and just recently, a civic leader in Chicago is a billionaire. In the last two weeks, was declared a billionaire. The reality is, is that we just keep moving the envelope. It's not a matter LGBTQ. It's not a matter of just uh, the right of the gay community have certain rights. It's this now. They're going after your children, going after your daughters. The number one, you know what? Trans is increased by 4,000% among teenage girls in the UK today, in the United Kingdom. 4,000% increase. The largest group are teenage girls. And do you know why? Social media and the pressure. And there is a concerted effort. I listened to the testimony of a young lady yesterday, and it was heart-wrenching as she talked about the hormone blockers and all the things that she was doing at 12 years of age and at 13, 14 years of age had had a double mastectomy. And now she's trying to reverse what she's taught, but was talked into and suing the medical community for what they did to her. We're living in a time like no other. I mean, just how, how just, how, hey, listen, how depraved are we going to be? First trimester, second trimester, third trimester, now we kill them outside the womb. Uh, LGBTQ, gay community, now, now we've got a trans movement that's literally so illogical, other nations, some of the most liberal nations in the world are pulling away from us. And you think to yourself, where is it going to stop? Oh, let me, add another, let me add another letter. If I die, you can remember I said this. P, LGBTQP, pedophilia. And let me remind you, we're following in the steps of the Roman Empire, and it was common in the Roman Empire, even among the Caesars, to have children and sexual type exploits, pedophilia. So just add another letter. And you may say, well, I don't, I don't know that I believe that. Let me tell you something. You could have never convinced my grandmother that people would be killing the unborn even outside the womb. And you say to yourself, when does this stop? I tell you when it stops. It stops when God's people, God's people begin to do this right here. It's not about political parties. It's not about partisan politics. It's about standing up for what is Right? And if we don't stand up soon, I believe we'll be under the judgment of God. Moses stood before Pharaoh, the most powerful political leader of his day, with a thus saith the Lord. Paul stood before the Sanhedrin, which was made up of the, scribe, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Paul stood up before Festus, Felix, King Agrippa, and finally stood before Caesar, and Caesar beheaded him. Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 stood before the, the officials of their day. And said, What do we do? Do we obey God or you? I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to obey God. An old statement was said one time, and I heard it, but it's so true. If you and I don't stand for something, we'll fall for anything. Do you have a heel? Do you have a heel? that you would be willing to die on. Are you willing to to take a stand for the personhood of the unborn? You say, well, we've reversed Supreme Court. Oh no, we're back in the courts again over the abortion pill. Oh no, that just threw it back on the states and we've got people that are, um, I, I, I hate to even say what they are, people in California that say we'll be a sanctuary state for anybody who wants an abortion abortion uh, we've got a trans movement that's this that's almost on steroids it's it's almost beyond anything that we could imagine and you're hearing young women that are coming out of this that are saying how they were their struggles their battles during gender dysphoria, which is an element that's always been, listen to this, clinical psychologists say, this is a problem among young boys, young men. It has nothing, it it seldom ever was women. But today with social media and peer pressure, the prince of the air is confusing young people about everything. When do do we become alarmed? At, At what point do we care or or, or or, do we just blindly continue to follow, turning a blind eye to the direction that this country is going? You say, well, you know, I'm not much. What can I do? Hey, every one of the people I named were former, were slaves. What did they do? You know what Esther said to Mordecai? When Mordecai, you know what Mordecai told Esther? He was like a dad to her. He said, Esther, you've got to stand up and you're going to have to go before the king and save our people. Planned Parenthood was started by a person that was trying to wipe out the African-Americans. 37% 37% of all, of all abortions are African American. 37%. You make up 13.6% of the population. Triple that is abortion. We can't do politics as we used to do it. We have to send a message to the powers that be. You won't do this on our watch. Mordecai told Esther, he said, Esther, you got to take a stand. Esther said, if I do, if I go before the king and he hasn't invited me to come, it's a death sentence unless he holds out the royal scepter. If he holds his royal scepter out, I can come. You know what Mordecai told her? Well, then you just go back home. Don't worry about it. You know what he told her? He said, who's to say that God has not raised you up for such a time as this? And he said, Esther, he said, let me tell you, God will deliver his people. If you don't stand, God will somehow. But don't think you won't escape this as well. My friend, we're living in a time, you've got young children today, you you better have your ear to the pavement. You better be listening like you never have listened before. You better be keenly aware of what's going on in this country and around this world today. Ruth Bell Graham said to Billy, she said, you know, Billy, she said, if uh," Billy Graham, she said, you know, if God spares America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Wow. We can't do anything until you give Christ your life. And you can't do anything until you sell out to him with everything in you. And I'm going to tell you, we better start saying, I don't agree with that. That's not true. Or by the time China and Russia and Iran and some of those nations get wiped out to Taiwan and they sucker us into a war either in the Ukraine or out there somewhere and Taiwan is an ally in that moment, that war may last that long because Putin and the Russians have more nuclear power than probably all the other nations combined. And don't think that five foot foot six totalitarian dictator Marxist wouldn't do it to shut us down. Serious times. Time to stand up. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you. And Lord, we, we realize, dear Lord, we live in a time where God's people are having to take a stand. We're having to speak out. We're... Having, dear Lord, whether it be on social media, whether it be in conversations across the fence, maybe in a classroom, maybe on the job, maybe wherever we are, we're being called to take a stand. And Lord, if we don't take a stand for something, I'm afraid we're falling for anything. And Lord, may we realize there have been great men and women who've given their life to the cause of freedom. And so, Lord, we we praise you. We give you the glory. And we ask you right now, first of all, dear Lord, if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, somebody in the sound of my voice that has never given their heart, their life to you, may they realize that's the first step. The first step is repentance of sin and turn to Christ and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me and be my Lord today. There are others in this room, they say, Pastor, I'm saved, but I'm silent. I'm not the confrontational type. I don't say much. Lord, there's a call today to stand for what is right, no matter the cost. So, Lord, give us a boldness. Now, Lord, that doesn't mean that we're rude and we're unkind. That doesn't mean we're disrespectful. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel, when they stood against the king, ultimately they so affected Nebuchadnezzar's life that I believe Nebuchadnezzar became a believer and a follower. But his grandson, Belshazzar, in Daniel chapter 6, he was not a believer. In fact, he didn't learn anything from King Nebuchadnezzar. He took all of the utensils that had been taken from the Jewish temple. And he was laughing, having an orgy of a party, celebrating, drinking out of those instruments, When all of a sudden handwriting on the wall. And words that would basically say this, King, you've been weighed in the balance, you've been found wanting, and your kingdom will end. And The Bible says in Daniel chapter 6 that on that night, King Belshazzar was slain. Daniel told the king when he offered to give him all the riches, Daniel looked at him and said, I don't want none of that. You can't buy me, king. And he told Belshazzar the truth. He said, your kingdom will end today. And it did. That plastered wall has been found by archaeologists. The very wall where that handwriting was at. May we never forget that we don't have a Bible of folklore and made-up stories. They're historically accurate and very true. Lord, I pray today you raise up men and women. May God you do something that only you can do before it's too late. And like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I'm one day saying if only they had listened and they didn't. Lord, we love you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.